0: of you felt that you would love would have loved it if Al and the team just had to continue and continue and continue and continue. How many of you felt when is Al and the team going to stop so that we can listen to the preaching? I should have asked you to put up your hands actually. Because my wife gets on my nerves. She says, I get on her nerves. We are so different. And that would be a response that is a very Grant and Lenore response to a moment like this. Lenore would say, we'll get in the car after the service and say, you know what? I thought Al should have continued and continued. And I will say, you know what? I thought he should have stopped two songs ago. Um, we are different in other ways. Some very practical, nagging, gnawing, irritating ways. She likes to sleep very, very early at night. I sleep very, very late at night. <laughs> when we got married, she would be like in bed by like half 8, eight, o'clock. After supper, dishes, and then she wants to. And I'm like, what are we going to do? She says, like, now we're going to sleep. It's sleeping time. Before we got married, when I visited her home, I would visit, and we'd, I'd be there at like half past seven, and the house would go quiet. And I'd like make some tea, and she's like, shh, my parents are sleeping. <laughs> and at my home, you get there at 10 o'clock, half past 10 at night, and my younger brother's busy playing a song on the piano. My sisters are doing each other's hair inside, and my other sister's busy choreographing a dance that she forgot about that she must do tomorrow at a something <laughs> When it comes to information, we process things differently. Have you ever been on that red bus that goes around town? And you can see the beautiful sights and sounds of Cape Town. When you go there, you buy your ticket. They give you these earphones. And what you do is you take those earphones and you plug it into the little unit next to your seat. And they give you information about the sights and the sounds that you experience as you go through the city. I can't wait to open my earphones and plug it in because I'm going to find out and learn something new. Um, and as you drive past Table Mountain, they give you a story about it. As you drive past Kirstenbosch, they give you a story about it. And sometimes, very irritatingly, they don't have anything to say and they just play music. And I'm waiting, when is the information coming? I learned that Lenore never even opens up her earphones. We come home with it and it's still in the packet. Because she doesn't care about the information. She just wants to experience the sights and the sounds and the smell and the experiences. Emotionally, we are very different. You don't want a friend like me. You want a friend like Lenore. If you are in a difficult situation and you got there because you were just not wise, then I've got very little sympathy for you. Because I'm like chuchu. If you don't know what chuchu means, you need to ask somebody what does chuchu mean, and if you don't know, then come ask me after the service. It was your own doing. And that's me. So I have very little sympathy. You want a friend like Lenore. Where it doesn't matter what you did to get yourself into that situation, her heart goes out to you. When it comes to our children, we discipline differently. One of us is lenient and fun and exciting, the other one is boring and strict. I won't say who's (laughs) who. And even in our differences, we've learned with our children that there's times we're at our worst, and when we're at our worst, we see the differences as right and wrong. But when we're at our best, we see those differences as strengths that you have, that I don't have. And even when it comes to discipline, and, and we've been, we've had moments where we've been terrible, like at our worst. But there's been other times when we've been at our best, where I say, I actually think we should let this one slide. But I don't know if it's just because I'm generally lenient... ...or if that's what we need to do in the moment. And Lenore would be, actually, you know what? I agree with you this time. I think we maybe just need to... Or, on another occasion, I might agree with her and say, actually... ...we need to tighten the reins a bit firmer. Two weeks ago, when Roland preached from First Corinthians 12... ...his title was Unity in Diversity. Seeing and honoring the gifts that other people carry... Even if those gifts are different to me. Actually, I would say, especially if those gifts are different to me. How do we do that? It seems so difficult. Especially when not only are your gifts different to me, but your personality and your temperament is different to mine. And that's why we needed to be, and Joe reminded us last week, about our attitude when approaching these things. We need an attitude of love. What did we find out about love? It's patient. It's kind. It's not rude. It doesn't keep a record of all the things we do wrong. It doesn't keep a record. There was this man that came to the pastor and said, Pastor, my wife and I are having these arguments. And every time we have an argument, my wife gets historical. The pastor's like, I think you used the wrong word. Don't you mean hysterical? He says, no, historical. She always brings up the stuff from the past. (laughs) But that's not love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Doesn't keep a record of the things that we do wrong or the things that we get wrong. And we will get stuff wrong, Al. We'll get it wrong sometimes. The Corinthian church was getting a lot of stuff wrong. And that's why Paul had to write a letter to them. Do you know that we're coming to the close of our series on Corinthians in just a few weeks' time? And as I've been looking at us coming to the close of the series, I was, I was really challenged. Last week, Joe mentioned in a message that God didn't put the chapters and even the authors of Scripture didn't put the chapters and verses in there. And those letters were written like a letter from start to finish with a flow of thought and a flow of words. And sometimes it will help us to actually read these letters with that kind of flow. But I want to challenge us that even as we come to the end of the series, what are those things that God has been saying to you during this time? I've noticed during the series, God has been showing me a lot of specks in other people's eyes, if you know what I mean. You know that scripture where it says, um, where where, where Jesus says, you want to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye, but there's a whole log in your own eye. And as I've been listening to the series, I've seen such a lot of things. Some of you that's sitting here, I've seen so many specks in your eyes of things that I hope that person is listening, because this is actually the thing that they need to hear. And God had to show me that there's a few logs in my eye that I'm needing to take out. And so I want to encourage you, even as you we come to the close of the series, ask yourself, God, what have you been saying to me through this series, and what are the things in my life that needs to change? I struggled preparing for this particular message, and I shared that with a few people. It's not the easiest of passages, 1 Corinthians 14, and I've got a little bit, just as an aside, I've got a little bit of a conspiracy theory about the other pastors and which passages they've selected for me to (laughs) preach on. (laughs) But we'll sort that out in our meeting on Tuesday. <laughs> but the topics and the themes that we find, even in First Corinthians 14, have been topics and themes that many Christians, pastors, and brilliant theologians, much better than us, Roland, have been struggling with for many, many years, and in some cases haven't even got it all figured out yet and in many cases have differed so sharply at times that the unity of the church has not only been threatened, but even very often undermined and even destroyed. Now, by way of background, and I need to give you some background before I preach on this passage, because we always, um, when Edwina was praying, she prayed for a godly perspective. And we need to be aware that we approach any situation, even any scripture, with our perspective. We all come with a lens through which we see things. I want to share with you some of my perspective. I grew up for all my life in a what I considered a typical Baptist church. Some put them into boxes like middle-of-the-road Baptist church. People weren't, weren't very much in one way or the other way, just kind of nicely, safely in the middle. Um, and I believed the stuff that the Bible said. So about some of the things we're talking about today, speaking in tongues and prophecy. Because it was there in the Bible, and Baptists, we believe in the Bible. And so we believe those things. I believe that God is able to do miracles and that his miraculous works, those those gifts of signs and the miraculous, still happens today. But this was my challenge. I didn't see it happening. And that hampered me and it hindered me. Because I'm like, okay, I see it there in the Bible, but I don't see it happening. Why is that? And even if I did want to put it into practice, what would that look like? Because most of the stuff that we do as a norm as Christians, we do because we've seen other people model it for us. And I didn't see this model, and that became the background. So I was genuinely wrestling in preparing for this message. We heard about speaking in tongues. We knew that it happened in some other places, and that in some places it happened poorly. And things got out of hand. Quote, unquote. And as a result, we felt, no, we didn't, it was never even told to me, it was never even said, don't do this. But you just kind of knew that we don't do this here because it gets out of hand sometimes. And so if there's no interpreter, no tongues, and so tongues is not bad. It's not that we mustn't speak in tongues, but it just doesn't happen here. And so that formed and shaped my opinion. As I was preparing for this message, I struggled. And then as I was sitting in my office, and I asked a few people to pray for me along the way. And the sense I got as God met with me in my office was that I'm trying to unpack all the richness of 1 Corinthians 13. When I should actually be asking God, what are you saying to me and to this church where we are at now? And this morning's message is that I want to ask you to turn to your Bibles, if you've got it with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're just going to read verse 1 to 5. And the heading in the New Living Translation says, Tongues and Prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says, Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. I almost... Wanted to literally stop there and just preach on that verse alone. Because that verse in itself, and for those of you who want the light version of this sermon, that verse essentially is a summary of everything else Paul is going to say for the next 40 verses. He starts off by saying, let love be your highest goal. Another version says, version says, pursue love. You remember when Roland preached two weeks ago, the last verse of the chapter that he preached on was 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31. And it says in the NLT, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And then it proceeds to go to chapter 13. Or other versions say, the most excellent way. This way of love. Pursue love because it's actually in an attitude and in a spirit of love that everything else we're going to talk about must be handled and must be dealt with. And that's why in the previous chapter Paul says that whether we can speak in the tongues of men and angels or whether we have these words of wonderful words of knowledge and wisdom, if we don't have love, we are useless. So pursue love. Even when we don't get it right, Pursue love. Love, because love is patient and kind and gracious. And love is not something that we do of ourselves. Love comes from the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is love. Pursue love. But secondly, that first verse says, but you should also desire special abilities. Other versions say, desire the gifts. You know, when, speaking of desiring the gifts, when I. We were doing, we were studying the doctrine of the Holy Spirit at seminary. And you're studying it, but my heart wasn't just to study these things for it to be theoretical and intellectual. I wanted to experience this. And so I remember going home the day we spoke at seminary about the issue of tongues. I went home, and I waited until Lenore was gone to bed. I didn't have to wait very long. And so late, late that night, about half past eight, (laughs) I sat in the lounge. The house is quiet and I'm alone. That day at seminary, we studied the Holy Spirit and I prayed a prayer that day. Up until that point, I'd never spoken in tongues. I prayed a prayer that day and I said, Lord, if you want me to speak in tongues, I don't want my inhibitions to be the thing that stops me. So if you want me to speak in tongues, I want to speak in tongues now. And nothing happened. And I had a certain sense of peace about that. And I shared it with a mentor of mine. And this mentor of mine graciously, but firmly said to me, I think you prayed the wrong prayer. I'm like, what do you mean? I said... As if I don't want to speak in tongues, but Lord, if you want me to speak in tongues, I would reluctantly do it. But the scripture says, eagerly desire the gifts. I didn't desire it. I was like willing to tolerate it. And so I changed the way I prayed. I still haven't spoken in tongues yet. I'm okay with that. But I do say yet. Eagerly desire the gifts. But Paul goes on to say, especially the ability to prophesy. Another version says, especially the gift of prophecy. The God's Word translation says, especially speaking what God has revealed. Continue verse 2. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. Since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages others, exhorts them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks the word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish, Paul says, you could all speak in tongues. But even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. We're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But as we unpack this passage, we need to move through a few scriptures. And I almost want you to see 1 Corinthians 14 as us standing over here. But we need to go back to Acts chapter 2 to understand what happened there in the New Testament when the church was born. Then we need to go a little bit back to Joel chapter 2 to understand a little bit about what Peter was talking about in Acts chapter 2. And we need to go back a little bit more to Genesis chapter 2 to understand why that was even an issue. You see, in Acts chapter 2, we have the first account, biblically at least, of people speaking In tongues, you see it in Acts 2, you find it in Acts 10, and in Acts 19 also, where speaking in tongues refers to an actual language, a dialect, an existing language that the person who's speaking this language never knew that language before that. And they spoke in this language so that other people that were there that actually spoke that language could understand it. that is a miracle, and that is what happens throughout Acts but it seems like what Paul is talking about here in First Corinthians is people speaking an unintelligible language. An ecstatic utterance, almost a heavenly language that is not understood by anyone here in our gathering. But at times God provides an interpreter so that we can understand what God is saying or understand what is being prayed or said. And so Paul is saying that happens but members of the church should be building one another up. So when I'm doing it and there's no interpreter, that's for me. And I've spoken to people who have this gift, and they speak about how you, you just don't have enough words, the words that you, the English language is not enough, or it's, it's just a, an expression of worship towards God. But that means nothing to me and to someone else who doesn't know what that means. And Paul is saying, unless there's an interpreter, then do that on your own. But what's more important is to say words that are understood. And we'll talk later about why that is. When it comes to prophecy, I'm referring to Joel, the prophet Joel. Joel was a prophet. And verse 3 said, anyone who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts. And I want to thank those who took the boldness and the liberty this morning of sharing a word of encouragement or a word of comfort to us This morning, because those of us who were feeling that year this morning were encouraged, strengthened. And that's very biblical. Verse 3 says, one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. Oftentimes... We don't even know what our spiritual gifts are. And I want to encourage you, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, come speak to us. Speak to Roland. He'll be very excited to get you on the journey of discovering your spiritual gifts. I found a tool once in a um, John Maxwell leadership guide that is a tool of actually asks you a few questions and helps you to discover what your spiritual gift is. And it defines, that particular guide defines... The gift of prophecy as the ability to boldly declare the truth of God, regardless of the consequences, calling people to righteous living. It goes on to say that it is declaring God's truth concerning present and future direct direction. Joel, in the book of Joel, in the Old Testament, focuses on the day of the Lord, which is a the key theme of many Old Testament prophets. He describes past events when God has saved people and confronted evil. And we saw that a few weeks ago, even when we had our communion with the plagues. And how God confronted evil, but at the same time, he saves and he delivers his people. But And so in chapter 3 of Joel, Joel deals with this day of the Lord. But before the day of the Lord, he deals with what some theologians and commentators have called the day of the Spirit. We read about it in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 29. The heading in the New Living Translation says the Lord's promise of His Spirit. Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my Spirit even on servants, men and women alike. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a beautiful picture. Try to picture what Joel is envisaging over there. God pouring out his spirit on all people, men and women alike. Sons and daughters prophesying. Old men will dream dreams. Where are the old men in the house? Are there any old men here? There weren't many at 8 o'clock also. (laughs) And young men will see visions. We are the young men. (laughs) What a beautiful picture. Joel anticipates this day when God will pour out His Spirit on all people. And in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, Peter actually declares that these very words are being fulfilled. You see, God knew that the change that we needed was more than just a repentance that came from knowing that you will be severely punished if you didn't change your ways. I'm going to say that again. God knew that the change that was needed was more than a repentance that came from knowing you will be severely punished if you didn't change your ways. God knew that what we needed was the kind of transformation that includes a complete change of heart, And of attitude. And such a change can only be brought about by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, in the Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit came on only a few of God's chosen people. And even then, he usually limited the revelations of himself. And did you ever wonder why God would limit himself in terms of revealing himself during the times of the Old Testament? We need to go all the way back. Genesis 2 to understand that and we know the story. God places Adam and Eve in the garden and they have what I imagine would be a wonderful experience of walking with God, an unbroken relationship with Him. He walks with Him and He talks with Him and that's the way it's supposed to be. How would you like that if God was with you every moment of every day? Some are nodding. Some aren't. Because for some of us, it would scare us. Do you know why it scares us? Because of what happened in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, their relationship with God was broken. And this is the beauty of Easter. This is the beauty of the cross. This is the beauty of Jesus. They hid themselves from his his presence because of their guilt. They hid themselves from God's presence Because of their guilt. I didn't put it as one of the scriptures. But there's a stark scripture in Exodus chapter 20. And you need to maybe read Exodus chapter 19 to understand what's happening in this scripture. It's two months after the Israelites have left Egypt. The Israelites arrive at Sinai. And their God calls Moses up to the mountain. And gives him a message to give to the people. The Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud so the people themselves can hear me when I speak with you. Then they will always trust you. God wanted to speak to his people. And then verse 16 of chapter 19 tells us that on the third day, and I quote, Thunder roared, lightning flashed, a dense cloud came down on the mountain and there was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn. The mountain was covered with smoke because the Lord had come down like a fire. Columns of smoke were blowing into the sky and the ram's horn was getting louder and louder and then the mountain starts to shake. Moses speaks to God and when God replies, you hear thunder. I don't know about you, but that's scary. And then in the next chapter, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, verse 18 of Exodus chapter 20. And when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But don't let God speak to us directly or we will die. The people were afraid. And I believe that many of us have that same fear that those people had when it comes to hearing the voice of God. That's why people will often come to a pastor and ask, what do you think about this I almost feel like telling people, ask God yourself. Because he wants to reveal himself to his people. When Jesus died on the cross, that curtain to the most holy place, which is where the presence of God resided, was torn from top to bottom so that every single one of us has access into the throne room, into the most holy place of God, where he just wants to meet with you. He just wants to be with you. He just wants to talk to you. Many of us still carry that fear. Early on when I was talking about the differences between my wife and I, there was one difference that I didn't mention. And that's how we differ, spiritually. If I refer to Lenore, I will refer to her as feeling, spirit. I was here at the Young Adults Ministry evening on Wednesday and I I said, she's emotional. And I mean that mostly in a good way. When I refer to myself, I refer to me as thinking, mind, because that's me. And and we relate to God differently when it comes to those things that you see on the screen. When it comes to hearing God, Lenore always used to tell me, and I was very skeptical, because she used to tell me she hears God speak to her. I'm like, okay, this sounds weird. Because I know from the Bible, yes, God speaks through His Word and God speaks to our circumstances. But she used to say, God said this to me. And I was like, remember my background? Like somewhere in the middle of the road, you know. Yes, God speaks through his word. God speaks. And she would say that. And I was like, it doesn't make logical sense. Because what if it's just you thinking that? You know, maybe you think you heard God. Some people genuinely have thought they've heard God, but they heard wrong. I'm logical like that. Spoke to the same mentor. Remember the mentor I told you about earlier? Some of you know him. I won't tell you what he is. Anyway, this mentor says to me, well, Grant, you're a logical person. Let's approach this logically. Those things that Lenore feels God's telling her, he humored me. How often do they actually come to pass? And how often is she on point? I'm like, you know, if I were to count, but like, Ninety times out of a hundred, ninety-five times out of nine times out of ten. Generally speaking, the stuff that Lenore is sensing, God is saying to her. Those things come through. And this friend says to me, "Well, you're a logical person. So, if nine times out of ten, Lenore is sensing God is saying something to her. Logically speaking, wouldn't you think that maybe God is speaking to her?" I'm like, "Okay, I'll give it to you." Because when, and, and I used to feel bad about the fact that I didn't hear from God. At least I thought I didn't. Notice what I said, I thought I didn't. Because for me, everything was about thinking. So I would pray and I'd say, Lord, tell me something, show me something. And God would say nothing. And then I would get a thought and I'd do that. And I don't know if it's just my thoughts or if it's God. And then I had to realize, well, God is speaking to me in a different way that he's speaking to Lenore. And I used to be, because I, used to, I didn't hear from God. In the meantime, I've got all these thoughts that God has given me, things that is birthing within me, but it doesn't look like hers, so I think mine is wrong. And so that word that you shared two weeks ago, Roland, of undermining the things that God has placed in you, especially if it looks differently to someone else, when it comes to prayer. I'll explain to you what prayer looks like for me. quiet. I'm sitting in my seat. eh? It's quiet. It's contemplative. It's thoughtful. I might open the Bible and pray that scripture. Close the Bible. I might even be quiet for just a little bit longer. And then I'll be done. It's over and I'll continue with my day. With Lenore. She is all over the show. She's never sitting down. It's never quiet. And sometimes it doesn't even make sense. (laughs) Like the stuff that she's saying. I'm like, did you even think about what you were saying now? Al gave me an example. I don't know if that was a song that you were singing now about the... Or if it was just a spiritual song in the spirit of the wind blowing through. But Al saying it. The wind is blowing through and it's washing over me. Now I'm thinking, okay... You're talking about water, Al. It's not wind that washes over you, it's water. So literally, as Lenore would pray about something like that, your wind is washing over me, I'll be thinking to myself, is it, was that? I'm like... Surely what you pray must make sense. And yet she's not worried about it making sense. She's And it's loud. And her hands are everywhere. And she's everywhere. And she's stamping her feet as she's praying. And I'm like, just sit down, lady. <laughs> when we worship, it's the same thing. Actually, I met with the, some of the worship leaders, Trevor and myself, and he invited me to join them. And I was sharing them some of what worship is like for me. And for some of them, it was actually a relief because they thought I was bored during worship. Because sometimes during worship, I sit down, and then I'll take out my phone, and I will Google stuff, literally. Because for me, that is what I'll be, we'll be singing, how great is our God. And I'm like, how great is our God? Yes, God is great. I know which scripture verses talk about the greatness of God. And I will go and Google scripture verses that talk about the greatness of God. And then I will read, and I'll see, hey, these words that we're singing, we're actually singing that in the song now. And then I will close my phone and I will sit there and I'll say, Lord, thank you for your greatness. The splendor of a king, clothed in majesty, wraps himself in light. Oh, Lord, I worship you. That's me. For Lenore, she never sits down. Actually, I need to give her. Sometimes I sit two chairs away because she needs arm room and leg room. Because when the words of the song says, I bow my knee, she will literally bow on her knees or jump up and down. The few... A few weeks ago, or not a few months ago, I asked our family to complete the following sentence. I feel closest to God when and it was amazing how different our answers were. Because for me I feel closest to God when I'm reading, when I'm studying, when I'm teaching, or when I'm explaining. For Lenore, she feels closest to God when she's worshiping, praying, enjoying God's presence. Which one of us is right? There was a time when we actually questioned each other's spirituality. Don't judge us. She, a time she wondered if, and this is now when I was a pastor a few years ago, is, is this guy saved? Because how can you have the Holy Spirit in you and be so quiet? And God challenged us both. God challenged us By asking, what makes you think that I accept your offering and not theirs? What makes you think that their sacrifice is not acceptable to me? And sometimes I wonder, why are we so different? And then I'm reminded that God is creatively diverse. God created diversity. Just look at creation. How beautiful everything, every single thing was made according to its kinds. And there are very many different kinds. And yet at the same time, God is orderly. There's an order in creation. And so sometimes we lose that, because we're all made in the image of God. And so when I'm creative, I'm reflecting that image of God's creativity in myself. But when I'm orderly or structured, I'm reflecting that image of God in me, and some of us have that more and less to different degrees. that we are different because God made us different. But secondly, we've got gaps. You know what is beautiful about our situation, and we're still on the journey, is that I've had moments in the last few months, and my wife will attest to it, where God has spoken to me in ways that are not only different to what I have experienced God, but it's more akin to how she has experienced hearing God, only because I've been open and willing to lean in to what God can teach me through someone that is different to me. We've all got gaps And we've all got areas of growth. And the other reason why I believe there's so much diversity is so that there's something for everyone. And I say that kind of wanting to caveat with a reminder that that's not the point. The point is not we must create something for everyone so that there is something for everyone. It's so that if we've got that attitude of love, then I will want to make sure that I can... Put my preferences aside for the sake of someone else. And that's the challenge that Paul was having with the church in Corinth. Because it was about me and it was about mine. And that's why I needed to remind them that you actually all need each other. So the fact that there is something for everyone is not even the main thing. So what is the main thing? I'm going to spend a few minutes on the main thing. What I believe is the main thing of the scripture. Because it's always important to keep the main thing the main thing. And I believe that there are two parts to the main thing of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And the first part of that is this. The main thing is the strengthening of the church. That's what it it was all about anyway. Yes, he was dealing with a lot of issues that were coming up but the point and we see it in verse 4 a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally but one who speaks the word of prophecy strengthens the entire church and Paul is saying do that verse 5 i wish you could all speak in tongues but i even more i wish you could all prophesy because prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues Unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Strengthen the body. Since you are so eager, verse 12, the second part, since you are so eager to have special abilities that the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. Desire gifts, yes, but don't desire them out of envy. Remember what he said the chapter before? Love does not envy. Love is not arrogant because it's not about you. No. Desire a gift because I want to strengthen the church. Discover your gift because you want to build up the body. Exercise your gift because you want to edify this body of believers. The second main part or the second part of the main thing, and we see it towards the end of the chapter in verse 23 to 25, is salvation for unbelievers. I think it's sad when you've got a church like a church in Corinth that's busy fighting between themselves so much that they've forgotten why they exist to make disciples of all nations. Verse 23, Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy, the New Living Translation says. But if all of you are prophesying, And unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting. They will be convicted by sin and be judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed. They will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. When Jesus, when salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus in Luke, Zacchaeus gets saved. Salvation comes to his house. And Jesus says at the end of that story, The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And if we are going to continue the work of Jesus, then the point of everything we do should be to seek and to save those who are lost. We will do the same. And that's the main point that Paul is actually trying to remind the people of. He ends the chapter with a call to orderly worship. And while I won't be covering that section in today's sermon, I do want to say that the guidelines that Paul gives the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 from verse 26 to 40 are the same guidelines that myself and the elders and the pastors use in leading our gatherings. And by leading our gatherings, I'm talking about services like today. When we encourage people to... To hear from God and share with God's people. Reveal what God has shown to you. To share those words so that the body can be edified. Those are the guidelines that we're using. But also in those special services. Every second month when we have our community services. And we encourage people not to think about what pops into their head. But actually you having labored before the Lord. Hearing what God is saying to you and maybe to the body. Because That's our goal anyway, to exercise our gifts so that the body can be built up and strengthened. There may be somebody that is waiting for, that is needing that word that God is laying on your heart. And those are the guidelines that we read, that we use. And you can read about them from verse 26 to verse 40. On Tuesday evening, we're having our prayer meeting. And Roland mentioned that we'll be meeting here from 6 till 7. And for those that do receive our bulletin, in this week's bulletin, I shared my heart in what I called a prayer for breakthrough. And I believe that God is wanting to... We sang the song, Waymaker, Miracle Worker. You are here moving in this place that God is wanting to move in this place. Now, I don't want to reduce our Christianity and our salvation and even what a church does to what happens on a Sunday morning only. But I prayed before the 8 o'clock service this morning, and the prayer I I, I prayed was that, you know, in, in Acts 2, where there were the tongues of fire that appeared over everyone's head, and I see our worship times as a gathering of people who bring their individual flames into this place. And we create this one big bonfire of worship and of experiencing God's presence. And if you're scared of fire, go back to the scripture in Exodus chapter 18, because the fire came down onto the mountain. But I'm asking you to join me in a prayer for for breakthrough in our gatherings. Breakthrough. Gatherings that are authentic and that are real, that's not limited by your box or mine. Open hearts to receive God's word. Unity in diversity and freedom in the way we worship. Victory over sin, unbelief, forgiveness. Because when that word came, I can't remember who was sharing it, when you spoke about the blowing through our hearts. So we've been praying into and we've actually worked on what our next sermon series is going to be. And the picture that I had, we were talking in a staff meeting about storerooms that need to be cleared out. The picture that I had was that the storerooms of our hearts need to be turned out, deep cleansed, cleaned, so that that fresh Wave, whether it's a wind or a wave doesn't really matter, but that it can move through the chambers of our hearts. Join me in prayer on Tuesday for that. Finally, Paul closes the chapter with a very succinct summary of what he's been saying. And it is succinct and it's to the point. So, my dear brothers, verse 39 and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. Be sure that everything is done properly. And in order. And before I bring the sermon to a close, I'm going to present us with a challenge and I'm going to ask you to respond physically to that challenge. I want to maybe just say two things. And the first one is, maybe for those of you who are not aware, the church has a prophetic ministry team that is led by Edwina. And the team is under the spiritual oversight of the elders and the team is made up of members of our church, of our body. And they serve us through prayer and words of encouragement. The heart of the ministry is to encourage, to edify, to build up and strengthen the church, to continue the work of Jesus, and to exhort normal Christians like you and me in their faith journey. And there are actual prophetic sessions that are available to you, and you can contact the church office to make an appointment. The last thing I want to say before I challenge you, is to caveat maybe what anyone might think is the battle. And she's left now to fetch our daughter. Danielle's coming to us for lunch. Um, But the battle between myself and my wife as to who's right. Because it would almost seem, and I'm the one with the mic, that I've won that battle. Because Paul is saying that rather let your stuff make sense Yes, if you're having a wonderful spiritual experience on your own, that's wonderful for you. But when you gather here, let the words you say make sense so that the body can be built up and so that lost people can come to Jesus. But I want to share with you an experience I had a few months ago. I attended a service and the pastor was preaching on 1 Kings chapter 19. If you know that story, it's about Elijah. Going to the mountain, Mount Sinai, the very same mountain that Moses went up to, Elijah goes to that mountain. And when he's there to meet with God, God sends a wind, God sends an earthquake, and God sends a fire. But God was not in the wind. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the fire. And then there's a whisper, this soft, still voice, and God was in the whisper. And I heard that passage and I'm thinking, yeah, I told him. <laughs> so quietly, it's in the whisper. And then God spoke to me. And God turned my attention to the chapter before that one. Because in First Kings chapter 18, God works through fire. And in Exodus Chapter 18 or 19, God works. Remember Moses? Thunder, lightning, a loud blast, fire, and an earthquake. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, Acts 2 tells us that there was what sounded like a mighty wind and what looked like tongues of fire hung over everyone's head. And I heard God say to me, Don't box me or think that I only speak to you. Or think that I only speak in one way because I'm quite at peace with God not being in the wind, not being in the fire, not being in the earthquake, but being in the quiet voice. But what if God wants to come in the wind? I'm cutting that out. What are the areas that you are cutting out? Where you comfortable to hear God within the way that you're comfortable? But God might A, be working in someone else's life in a different way or be wanting to work in your life in ways that you wouldn't even be able to imagine. I want to leave you with that challenge. I'm going to ask that you close your eyes as I put the challenge to you. I'm going to put three challenges to you, and I'm going to ask that if that challenge applies to you, for you to stand. And to stand in response to say, God is speaking to me about that, and me standing is saying, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to ask Al and the team to come to the front, and when I'm done with the challenge, for them to lead us in one song in closing, and then Roland will close our service in prayer. My first challenge is, if you desire to hear God speak to you, to reveal truth to you, to firstly change your life, but also for you to share with others. And maybe here you are like me, or others, that like the Israelites that were afraid to hear from God, and you're saying, I don't want to be afraid anymore, because God desires to speak to me. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. If your desire is to hear God speak to you, I'm going to invite you to stand now. If you are here today, And you are what today's chapter described as an unbeliever or a person who is not yet a follower of Jesus or someone who doesn't understand these things is how today's scripture put it. And you would like someone to explain to you what it means to be a follower of Jesus and how to become an active part of a Christian community. I'm going to invite you to stand now and join those that are standing. And then lastly, if God has spoken to you during this message about anything else, it might not even be something related to 1 Corinthians 14, but God has spoken and you, in response as an act of obedience, are saying, Yes, Lord, I will do that. I'm going to invite you to stand now. Lord, the fact that most of this auditorium is standing to our feet is evidence that you speak to us through the word that you have revealed to our hearts, Lord. And us standing today is a declaration that we don't want to be like those people that just hear the word and don't do what it says. We are standing to our feet as the first step before we walk out these doors and allow your Holy Spirit to help us. Carry out what you have burdened in our hearts today, Father God. Lord, I thank you for those people that have stood to say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I want to become a follower of Jesus, Lord. I pray that you would surround them with the support that they need to guide them on this journey in their walk with you, Father God. And so we're standing, declaring that we need you. We can't do this apart from your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, Fill us, empower us, and enable us to carry forth the task that you have burdened in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.